Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Rob. And this is Ask Rob and Rob. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Rob and Rob, the show where you give us your questions, we give you our answers, and we all feel better for that wonderful process. This week, we continue with that process. But before we do, we'd like to give you a little reminder of how you can get involved in the show, because we've got some great questions in this week, but we want to keep that up. So this is how you get involved. Yeah, I imagine it's etched on your brain by now, but just in case, it's 013-808-0035. That's 013-808-0035, or you can head over to propertyhub.net slash ask. Either way, you'll have the option of leaving us a voicemail. So do that. Send us your question, and we will provide an answer, just like we're about to for Ariel. Hello, Robin Rob. My name's Ariel Anderson. I'm a professional model and non-professional investor. I've got three properties. Um, I'm just about to buy my fourth in 2020. Thank you so much for your lovely podcasts. I'm a long-term listener and I adore them. My question is that I have been buying properties at the rate of one a year for the last few years. And I've been mostly buying property at around £80,000. And I've been getting about £500 a month through single let in terms of rent. This year, I decided to diversify and spend double the money, £160,000, in an attempt to get about £1,000 rental return a month. And I found it surprisingly difficult to do that. And I think I've maybe spotted a bit of a pattern. that although it's easy to get fairly high rental yields from relatively cheap properties, it seems much harder as you go up the value of property it's not necessarily reflected in the rent. Now, I assumed maybe that's because there's a kind of floor below which rent can't fall, that however bad a property is and however bad the area, the rent's never going to be zero. And maybe there's a kind of ceiling beyond which rent doesn't really go because once it's at £20,000 a month or something, I guess people just would choose to buy a property instead of rent. So I think there's a correlation that the more you spend, the harder it is to get the high rental yields. But I am an amateur investor and I'd love to know what you think. So thank you very much for your thoughts. Bye. Rob, this is a great question. Thank you, Ariel. Could be a podcast in itself. There's a few directions we could go with this question. Yeah, definitely. But the first thing to say is you're right, Ariel. You have spotted a bit of a pattern there. It's definitely the case in general that cheaper properties are higher yielding. And that's not obvious at first, but then when you think about the maths of it and the fact that you've got the capital value and the rent as the two components of that and the possible variation in capital values tends to be a lot higher than the variation that you can get in the rent, then it kind of makes sense. Now, we've talked on the podcast before about how at the low end, this can lead you astray because if you're chasing the highest yield, that can lead you to very cheap properties and those very cheap properties can can come with issues that maybe you hadn't factored in and maybe collecting that rent that gives you the high yield is more difficult than you thought it would be. Something we haven't talked about so much on the podcast but is equally true is up at the other end of that scale. So you might want to spend more money on a property because you think prime property in that area will do really well. Prime properties in that area are expensive, but you're happy to spend that money. Yet you can't make it stack up on a rental level because, as you pointed out, when properties get more expensive, that yield is compressed. And it gets to a point where the rents can't get pushed up any higher. And it comes to a point where however expensive and wonderful the property is, the rent can't be any higher because no one would be able to pay it. And so you just can't make those very expensive purchases work. Work. So your observation is correct. But Rob, I think the other important part of this is the capital growth part of things. Because another relationship that we often see, not all the time, but as a general rule, is that the very cheaper properties that yield the best tend not to do so well in terms of capital growth. 
That's right, so you can be rewarded in a different way. Maybe not through yield, but through capital growth. Although, of course, that's not a guarantee and you have to pick the right area at the right time to benefit from the best of the capital growth. And that's not to say that lower yielding properties won't receive any. They do. It tends to be later on in the cycle. So there will be capital growth there as well, particularly towards the end of the cycle when people are chasing yield. And this is why there's no perfect strategy for everyone, because you need to weigh up what's important to you. So if income is the be-all and end-all and it's the most important thing that you should be doing, then absolutely continue as you are. Ignore those higher price properties. But if you're looking to balance your portfolio now, potentially take advantage of some capital growth, then fantastic. I think it's important to always be aware of where you are in your own strategy. And at some point, you may need to consider pivoting. Rob and I have previously talked on a podcast how we both spent too long on our initial strategies in property and should have pivoted into what we currently both do now a lot sooner. And an example of this might be that the amount of income that you get from your portfolio right now may now cover all your living costs and expenses and you are effectively financially free. So moving forward, you may want to consider assets that cost a little bit more, possibly don't yield as well, but have much more potential in terms of capital growth. Also, another point, and one that it's not been considered so far, that if you're buying assets worth 160, you could buy two properties of 80,000 or one of 160,000. Obvious, I know, but the simple point that we've not touched on is, but then you've got double the amount of properties to manage, look after, find tenants for, solve issues around. So there is the benefit of consolidating your portfolio that way as well. As we said at the beginning, Ariel, there's so many different directions we could have gone with this podcast and so many things to consider. And this has taken us a little longer to answer than average when we're answering Ask Rob and Rob, but it's a great question, so thank you. And while there's no perfect answer there, because there isn't, because it's what's right for you, hopefully we've given you a lot to consider. Well, a big answer there to a really important, big strategic question. So thank you for that, Ariel. Let's now have a question on something a little bit more timely. This one's from Alex. Hey, Rob and Rob, it's Alex. Just a quick question from me. We've got a new housing minister, and how will that affect things for investors? Would love to hear your thoughts. Bye. Yes, Alex. Christopher Pincher is our new housing minister, replacing Esther McVeigh. I'd hesitate to say absolutely nothing, but whatever, like half a degree up from absolutely nothing is, I think would be my answer. Reason for that is we've had 10 housing ministers since 2010. And have you noticed any differences as one comes and another goes? I haven't. The level of turnover suggests it's not seen as a particularly important role. A lot of the housing policy seems to be made higher up and the housing minister just issues press releases about it, as far as I can tell. So there's certainly lots of interesting things on the horizon when it comes to housing policy. There's the planned removal of Section 21, of course, and there's in general waiting to see what this government is going to do in terms of housing because they'll be aware that this is an important electoral issue. Lots of younger voters in particular are very concerned about it. And so as they've got a strong majority, there's a possibility that they will have big plans for housing in general. But who the housing minister actually is, I don't think plays too much of a part of all that. And it wouldn't make too much effort to remember his name because it wouldn't surprise me if he changed again in the next reshuffle anyway. So that's us done for another week. Thank you to Ariel and thank you to Alex for your questions. We'll be back next week with Ask Rob and Rob on Tuesday, of course, and with the main event, the Property Podcast on Thursday. So until then, take care, have fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.